We introduced this series last week called Trust Matters. And uh, one of the things that I said uh, was that I was under the assumption for many years that trust is one of the first lessons that the Lord begins to teach all newborn babes in Christ, kind of like a Christianity 101, uh, because trust really matters. It's so important. It's so vitally important. But what I've come to discover that over the years is that this, this issue of trust is, is bigger than just for babes. It's, it's an ongoing, continual learning process of ever deepening and widening our ability to trust in God so that we will have a, a deep, rich experience, experiential knowledge of God to, to the place where we become men and women who are trusting God in an unmovable trust, in, in an unstoppable trust. And so I shared that if we're going to have any kind of influence whatsoever, if we're going to have any kind of impact on our world, and our world consists of those that God's destined us to touch, to influence, to our loved ones, our neighbors, our co-workers, our or, or brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not going to be because we've reached some level of celebrityism or status, but rather it's because that we have a life that can be celebrated because of someone who has put their wholehearted trust in God. That, that's the kind of life that will bring a lasting impact on our world, on the people that are around us. Last week, our focus was, was and, and this, is, this is kind of like a side issue of talking about the difficulties and the trials and the adversities. But, but what I want to zero in on is the, this extra component that notches everything up to the next level. And last week, what I said, what notches the trials and the adversities and the afflictions that we go through up to the next level was when we find ourselves in a state of, a state of confusion, when darkness surrounds us. When, when we find ourselves in an inexplicable situation, there's, there's no explanation. When we can't figure out, God, what, what are you after? What, what are you doing? God, where, where are you in all this, you know? And, and, and that trial of, of going through that exponentially is kicked up because of the uh, mystery that's behind the, the, the kind of uh, situation we find ourselves in a season of life. And Yesterday, I wanted, I wanted to share a, a quote from you that kind of bridged last week's message and kind of catapult us into this week's message. I want to share a quote with you, but, but I got an email yesterday from my, my cousin, Bobby. Bobby and I grew up together. He's like about three or four weeks younger than, than, than I was, and uh, he lived down the block from me. We went to the same school for 12 years, and or, or eight years, I guess it was. Uh, we joined the Boy Scouts together. And so there was a real connection that we kind of lost over the years when families go their, their separate ways. But I reconnected with him about a year or so ago. And uh, just, just, just my heart breaks for him. His wife, uh, Cheryl, is, uh, she has brain cancer. And she's not doing well. And I've, I've prayed with him through the struggles. I've asked prayer. I've sent out prayer requests to our community uh, to, to pray for my cousin's wife, Cheryl. And he said yesterday in an email, she's not going to make it. She's, you know, like they say, like any, any day. She's in hospice care at this point. And so I sent him back an email with, with, 
with some words that, personal words that I thought would be of an encouragement to him. And I said, you know, I, I'm preaching this message on Sunday tomorrow, and, and can I just share this quote with you that I'm going to share with my congregation? So this is what I shared with him as well. I believe in this. That's why I shared it with somebody who is going through this intimately. This is, this is a quote from Sam Storms, and this is what he says. He says, we must leave room for mystery in God's ways. Some things will always remain unexplained. Why God does or does not choose to heal is ultimately subject to his wisdom and his sovereign purposes. Why God chooses to heal in part or in whole, now or later, this person but not that one, is often beyond our capacity to understand. That's, that's, that leaves us absolutely perplexed. We can't wrap our mind around that. But knowing that is so important. And here's his advice. He says, resist the tendency to replace divine mystery with human formulas. In other words, resist the temptation to have a have a one-size-fits-all kind of theology because, because life is not like that and situations are not like that and circumstances are not like that. But let, let, let me just speak for a moment to anyone that might be here that's on the edge of, of making a commitment to Christ. Uh, you're thinking about it, you're here this morning and we're so glad that you are here and we want to encourage you and I want to personally encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to take a leap of faith and to put your trust in Christ. And I want to say this out of, out of 35 plus years of preaching, that you will not be disappointed in Christ. I'm not saying that you won't be disappointed in life. I won't, I won't, I won't say that you won't experience difficulties or hardship or troubles, because you will, because we all do. But I, I guarantee you that you will not be disappointed in the person of Jesus Christ as a Savior. Knowing that is so important. You see, the advantage that we as believers in Christ who trust in Christ have is that we have a sure foundation upon which we can fall back on. We have a sure footing that keeps us unstoppable and unmovable. Our focus this morning is going to be upon, again, trials and adversity. It could be in the area of finances. It could be in the area of relationships. It could be in the area of, uh, of health. A any one of those areas is, is, is something that is so common to all of us at some stage or, or, or season of our life. But the extra component that kind of kicks this up is, is those times when we feel tempted, when we, it seems as though God has forgotten us when it seems like God doesn't know our address, that he's lost his GPS satellite positioning as to where we live, that he's lost our phone number, that, that he, has, he has abandoned us or forgotten us. That is a real temptation. And we're gonna look at some of the examples of what people in the Bible have gone through have, having experienced that. And you might be here this morning and, and that might be a common experience that, that you've gone through in this life. And I want you to know it is so vitally important for you to resist 
the accusations that come against God, that God has forgotten you, that God has abandoned you, that God has forsaken you. And one of the reasons why it is so important is it, it makes the difference between whether or not you're going to be a victim in this life or whether you're going to be a victor in this life. Let me kind of give you an illustration that I think that we could all understand. I have a bottle of simple H2O Poland Spring water come from all the way from imported from Poland, Springs, right? Poland, that's where it came from. As I pour, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to think about the question that I'm going to ask you for a moment. And I'm going to hold this up for a minute so that you could all see. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, excuse me a minute. All right, now, I'm going to ask you, what do you think the question is I'm going to ask you? And of course, of course, I know, Pamela, you're thinking, he's going to say, is it half full or half empty, right? How many of you think I'm going to say that? Wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> it's, it, that's, it, it's irrelevant about, about, you know, how much water is in here. What is relevant to my question is, how heavy is this? So some of you might be saying, all right, I'm calculating 16 ounces bodily poured in, a little bit more than half of that, 20 ounces maybe the glass. Now, it's, that's not the answer. The answer isn't how many ounces is it. The, the answer is depends upon how long I hold this for. If I hold it for a minute, piece of cake, no problem. If I hold it for an hour or more, I know my arm will begin to get tired. Uh, it might even go into a spasm. I know my shoulder after a, a couple of hours will probably begin to hurt. If I hold it all day long, I guarantee you that my arm will feel as though it's, it's numb and paralyzed. So the question really is, while the weight of the glass has not changed, the weight of the glass has increased because of the length of time in which I've held it. Now, here's what I want to say. I want to say this, that when we go through times of stress and difficulty and adversity, when we entertain the thought that God has forgotten us, if I think about it for a minute, it's not going to bother me. Piece of cake. But if I think about it for an hour, it's, not going, to, it's going to start to be painful. If I begin to think about it all day long, it's going to numb me and paralyze me to the point where I can no longer be effective in this Christian walk. If I believe the lie, and I know the whispers, and I know you, some of you here, you know what I'm talking about. You know the Bible calls Satan the accuser. And he accuses us before God day and night, and he accuses God to us. How long could you hold that for? I want to suggest to you that it's best to not hold it at all to cast all of your cares upon the Lord, knowing that he cares for you. But you say, how can I do that if I feel as though right now that I've been forgotten, that, that all of my circumstances indicate and dictate to me that God has lost my phone number? You know, the, 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 the old saints used to say, it's like when, when your prayers were, were like the heavens were brass. And, or, or you felt like your prayers could reach no higher than the ceiling of the room that you were in. And it seemed like there was 
no answer on the other end of your cries for help. How, how, do, you, how do you maintain a trust like that in the midst of that? And here's my question this morning. Is there a sure foundation and a solid footing for me to fall back on? Is there a sure, what is that sure foundation for me to fall back on? First, I want to begin in Luke chapter 12. Just two verses. Jesus is speaking. And I think we can pretty much clearly see his intent and purpose behind what he says in these two verses. So in verse 6, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Not one of them is forgotten. Not one sparrow is forgotten by God. That's what Jesus went on record as saying. Indeed, he says, the very heads of your head are all numbered. And here's the purpose why I'm saying this, Jesus is saying, is so that you will not be afraid because you are worth more than many sparrows. What's Jesus saying? Jesus saying is that the creator of the universe micromanages his creation to the point where, where he, he, he will not even forget something as insignificant as a sparrow, the multitude of sparrows, how many millions and maybe billions of sparrows there are around the world, yet, yet not one of them, not one is forgotten. And he goes on record as saying that. I don't know about you, but there's something extremely comforting of knowing that God micromanages the universe, that he micromanages my life and your life. Something very comforting about that. I, uh, my wife and I were at the uh, ophthalmologist this week. We had our yearly eye uh, exam, and uh, Kathy went first, and you know, she's sitting in a chair, and the, the physician's assistant is testing her, and the way that they do it today is you don't read from a chart anymore. They kind of sit you in a chair, and you kind of, they, they bounce a light off of a mirror, and that's behind you, and you know, and back and forth and all that, and so they ask you to read the lines, you know, uh, and uh, Kathy did well, and she's, you know, she's reading the lines there, and then was my turn. So, so, to kind of circumvent any problem that I was going to have with the uh, physician's assistant, I, I told her right up front, I said, you know, I just want to let you know that I am blind in one eye, that I am legally blind in one eye. I could see, you know, like blurry, but only like, you know, five, ten feet in front of me, and then beyond that, I, I can't see anything in detail. And she said, well, she said, well, let's just see. I said, all right. So she says, can you see this line? So she had me cover my good eye. Could you see this line? I said, no. Could you see this line? No. What about this line? No. How about this line? No. Then when I, she's all right, you, you could, re, you know, so when I removed my, the patch from my good eye, it was the biggest E I've ever seen in my life. I said, and that's exactly what I said. I said, that is the biggest E I've ever seen in my life. But she may have felt sorry for me at that moment, but I didn't. See, I've read in, in, in Exodus chapter 4 the conversation that God had with, with Moses. When Moses was complaining to God because of his impediment of speech or his stuttering, why he couldn't be God's spokesman, the Lord said, who do you think made man's mouth? And who do you think made men deaf? And who do you think men, made men blind? See, I, I, I know that God has micromanaged even the fact that I am legally blind in one eye. I have some speculation as to the good that's come out of it, and I can share that with you, but I don't think that that's relevant because it's only speculation. 
But I know this, I can trust in the sovereignty and in the goodness and the wisdom of my Father who micromanages even the hairs on our head. Now, it appears that Jesus preached a similar message in the Gospel of Matthew, but with a slight alteration. In the Gospel of Matthew, what, what he says about these sparrows is that he says two sparrows are sold for a penny. Here in Luke, it's five sparrows for, sold for two pennies. So two sparrows sold for a penny, but Jesus said this, but not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of my Father which is in heaven. By the way, when sparrows fall to the ground, not a good thing, not a good thing, but they don't do so apart from the will of God because God micromanages every single detail of life. Now, here's, here's what's so amazing, is that, is that the guy who sells the sparrows, two for a penny, if you'll buy four, he'll throw in one for free. It becomes, it becomes five for two pennies. And what Jesus was saying was there is that even the worthless, even the, the, the thing that is so insignificant in the eyes of men, God will not forget. God has his eye. And if God, listen, has his eye on the sparrow, if you and I are the objects of his love and affection, do you think that God is going to forget us if he, if he will not forget even one single sparrow? I don't think so. And yet I know, I know that there are times when we will be tempted, but God will not forget. I want to share a story with you. You know, I almost... Almost, uh, almost hesitate to share with you because it's horrible. You know, it's 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 a terrible thing. But it, but it happened, and some of you might remember because it happened just a couple of months ago, back in September, September twenty sixth, two thousand twelve, down in Miami, Florida. The headline read this: "Baby dies in car after father forgets to drop her off at a daycare." And here, here, here here's the story: Police said that the baby's father, Lorenzo Ramos was supposed to have dropped his daughter off at a daycare center at 9 a.m. Tuesday, but apparently forgot she was in the car and he went about his day. The baby had been left in the car seat for nine hours and it was unclear where the car was parked that day. Temperatures in Miami on Tuesday reached 88 degrees. He simply forgot his daughter. Miami-Dade police detective called the incident a tragic accident, but told NBC News the investigation is ongoing, and at that time, Ramos was currently in police custody. I can't, ima- I can't imagine you forgetting a baby in a car. I can't, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. And I don't think when, when anybody heard the story or even hears the story now can, can fathom a father leaving his child in a car seat all day, nine hours, and, and it doesn't even occur to him. So, so if, humanly speaking, we can't wrap our mind around the fact that a father can forget and did forget, then how, how, can, we, how can we listen to the accusations of, of an enemy who whispers and says, God has forgotten you and God has abandoned you? How can we believe that? If we would not ascribe that kind of love to a, a flawed father, then we cannot ascribe that kind of unconditional love to our heavenly father. But you know what? This is, this is in the scripture. People 
under trial and under difficulty get into a place where they begin to believe the lies. This is what happened in Isaiah 49. It says, but Zion, and Zion is the word, their code word for church, the church of the Old Testament. Zion said, this is what they said. This is what their complaint was. The Lord has forgotten me. The Lord has has forgotten me. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forsaken me. This is, what they were, this is what they were complaining about. But God's response to that is this. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? God said, let's think about this logically. Though she may forget, though human beings are flawed, I will not forget. That I will not forget is applicable to you and me today. Why? Even though it was spoken hundreds of years ago to an ancient people, it's applicable to us because Paul says that every word that was written was written aforetime for our instruction and for our encouragement. So God says to you this, this morning, on, on February 24th, 2013, that I will not forget you. I know exactly what you're going through. I know what your needs are. And yet Zion felt that there were times like, God, you've forsaken us. God, you've forgotten all about us. I mean, is those times when we feel like, God, don't you care what I'm going through right now? Don't you care that there's pressure on me right now financially? Don't you care that this health issue right now is so severe? Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody that you love and you just feel helpless and weakness to, to do anything about. It feels like, it feels like I've been abandoned. But I, I just, that's why I love the, the raw honesty of Scripture. Because it doesn't skirt over issues like this of real temptation and the real, the real darkness that comes our way when we find ourselves in the midst of trial. That there is honesty in those that have been there and done that. And I love the Psalms for that reason. Probably there's so many. Psalm 10 was, is one that we could look at. But I want to look at Psalm 13 for a minute. And this is something that David said. And his complaint is not, is, is not to his wife. His complaint is not to his staff. His complaint which he pours out, is not to the community. I mean, if there was Facebook, David wouldn't, wouldn't you know, vent to Facebook about how he feels so forgotten. But he, he pours out his soul to the only one who is able to help him. And he's saying, he's saying, God, this is my perceived reality right now. God, this is how I feel, and I'm being absolutely honest with you. And so in Psalm 13, verse 1, he says, How long, O Lord... The first lament, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Five questions in two short verses. And he wants to know. And maybe God would respond to him and say, would say to him, Lord, David, how long are you going to hold that, that cup? How long are you going to hold that cup before you realize that you can't hold it? And it's only going to hurt you to hold that thought all day long. You know, it sure feels like I've been forgotten, David is saying. It sure feels 
You know, what, what happened to the sweet fellowship we had when, when, when I said, Lord, you're my shepherd and I shall not want your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What happened to the, to the, to the covenantal blessing that the, that the priest was supposed to speak over the people of God? The Lord's face shine upon you and give you peace. But the Lord's countenance rest. David is saying, I, I, your face is hidden from me. I can't see you in all of this darkness. God, help me. I tell you, David's expressing a feeling that is not uncommon to us. And you know what? The Bible says that God remembers our frame that we're but dust. And like a father who has compassion or pity upon his children, so the Lord, he knows us intimately. And you know what? He's not angry with us. When we are honest with him and we say, I just feel like you've lost my address. He wants there to be that relationship of honesty. God, where are you? Early in his administration, Ronald Reagan was coming out of a Hilton hotel where he had just spoken, and he was getting into his limousine, a short walk to the limousine, and all of a sudden they heard pop, pop, pop. And uh, the Secret Service detail that was guarding the president threw the president in the back of his limousine and and took off. The president had pain in his side by his ribs and he was spitting blood. They rushed him to the hospital. Then at first the president got out on his own strength and was walking into the hospital but then began to feel weak and dizzy and he almost passed out. And before he realized it, he he was on a gurney looking up being wheeled into the hospital. When they brought him into the operating room, he looked at the surgical staff and he looked at them and he said, I sure hope that you're all Republicans. You know? I mean, what, what great sense of humor, right? Sure hope that you're all Republicans. You know? But his sense of humor just, just went into panic mode because no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't catch his breath. And he began to panic and he passed out. Somewhere in that period of time when he came, came to, he felt like someone was holding his hand. And he wrote about this sometime afterwards. And this is what he said. He said, it's difficult for me to describe how deeply touched I was by the gesture. It was very reassuring just to feel the warmth of someone's hand. It was very reassuring to feel the warmth of someone's hand. And when he inquired, who was it? that was holding my hand, no one took responsibility for it. He assumed that it was one of the nurses, but no one took responsibility. Kind of a mystery. I think when we find ourselves in those hard places in our life, we want to know, is there someone who's going to hold us by the hand? Are we alone in this? Have we been abandoned? I want you to know this. There's a great verse of scripture so that the next time you are tempted, David said in Psalm 37, he said, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. That's what I'm I'm talking about this morning, that God micromanages the details of our life. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the right hand. Kelly shared last night at Deeper, one of the verses God was saying, don't be afraid, fear not, I am the Lord, 
your God am with you. I will hold you by my right hand. Something about, something comforting knowing that God will hold us by the hand. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish and neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. We can be safe and secure knowing that his hand is on us. In his book, The Heavenly Man, a pastor from China, we were talking about uh, the, the Chinese a uh, couple of nights ago where, where uh, the, the Chinese population, the Christians are, are being persecuted. And uh, uh, so in this book, The Heavenly Man, this pastor tells the story of his persecution experiences. He was, he was electrocuted. He was beaten. Uh, he was, uh, they put uh, bamboo shoots underneath his fingernails tortured him all, you know, mercilessly. They put him in a box that was three foot by four foot by three foot, indefinitely. And, 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 and one day he said, he said he had this leading in his heart to ask God to provide him for a Bible. Now, now what's, what's so crazy about that is that Christians were imprisoned in this Chinese jail because of possessing contraband that was illegal like Bibles and Christian literature. But he is, was asking for a Bible. And he says, and something really strange happened. He says, the next day, one of the prison guards threw a Bible into this box. And this is what he wrote. He says, I knelt down and wept, thanking the Lord for this gift, this great gift. I could scarcely believe my dream had come true. No prisoner was ever allowed to have a Bible or any Christian literature, yet strangely God provided a Bible for me. Through this incident, the Lord showed me that regardless of men's evil plans for me, he had not forgotten me and was in control of my life. He had not forgotten me and was in control of my life. I think had he asked God, set me free from this prison, it probably wouldn't have convinced him as much as if he had asked for something that was so unbelievable as to be given a Bible that God then in that instant showed him, you're not forgotten. You're not forgotten, and I'm in control of your life. Let me tell you something. When we believe that, we can go through any storm in this life. When we believe that God's not going to forget me, that God's not going to forsake me, that he's not going to let me down, I may be disappointed. I may, I, may, I may experience difficulties, and you will. They are predictable, but I will not be disappointed in Jesus, my Savior. See, I think sometimes that we are so in, in the thick of our circumstances, that like the proverb that says you can't see the forest for the trees. So, sometimes I, I think we're so thick into our circumstances that we cannot see the way out. And it's because our eyes are on the circumstances. And it's in that, those moments that we have a choice to either continue to believe the lies that we know Satan is speaking to us or we can begin to fix our eyes somewhere else to lift them from the circumstances to the promises of God. I, I, I love Hebrews 
11, I think it's 25 or 26, where it says, but Moses endured seeing him who is invisible. Yes, yes, you can see him who is invisible. It's not with these eyes, but with the eyes of faith. And the promises that God has, has, has given to us. This is such a great, incredible promise. I'm sure you know it. I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times. Hebrews 13, 5. It is one of those verses that are almost impossible to, to really uh, translate into a flowing language because of the five negatives that are found in it. And the best, the best that I can do is this. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never, 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 no, never leave you nor forsake you. And, and the result of believing that, if you will believe that, God says, I will never, 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 no, never leave you. No, the result will be that you can boldly say, the Lord is my help. Whom shall I fear? What is, what is it that men can do to me? You can't touch me. If you believe this, you will stand the storms of life. See, I'm convinced in the logic of divine wisdom behind what Paul said in Romans 8.32, one of my favorite verses. Paul said, if God did not spare his own son. Now, now here, here's the logic, from the greater to the lesser. If God did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The logic of God saying, I've given you my best. Will I withhold from you things that you need that are of lesser value? And the answer is no. But what, what are we talking about? We're talking about, we're talking about the, the absolute proof of God's being for me and God not being against me, God's love being unconditional? Is God giving his son over? Did you, do you realize what it means that God spared not his son? The Bible says God did not spare the angels that sinned, but reserved them into everlasting chains of darkness. God, God did not spare the world that, that sinned, but sent a flood. God did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah. But, but the greatest God did not spare in Scripture, is God did not spare his own son. And what is that talking about but the cross? And what is the cross but the, the, the most inexplicable, the most unexplained paradox of all where God is demonstrating his love? This is how the Bible says we perceive the love of God because he gave his life for us. This is the way that we know, not that we love God, but that he first loved us and gave himself to be the covering for our sins, the cross. Listen, God may not always do what I want him to do. God may not always rescue me in the time frame that I want God to rescue me in, but when it comes to the biggest issue of, of, of history, when it comes to the biggest issue of life, Jesus did not turn the cup over until he drank it every single drop of the wrath of God. Dregs and all, Jesus drank for you and me the proof, the, inexp the, the, the infallible proof of the love of God that cannot fail that this is, this, this is the measure of my love for you, that I have given 
myself for you. And, and you know what? I, I wish for a moment. You know, the scripture says that he became a curse for us, you know? And I, I've read that so many times that, 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 that even as a preacher, I can become numb to that statement. All right, he became a curse for us. Well, what does, that, what does that mean? I think the only way that, it re- that, that we could really grasp that is if the Holy Spirit would take us, even in an instant, to a peek behind the curtain when there was three hours of darkness that covered Calvary, when, 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 when not even the eyes of those that were there could see the exchange that was taking place between God the Father and God the Son, when the wrath of God was being poured out on the Son of God and he was being made sin for us. Something was happening to him physically. Something was happening to him spiritually that is beyond our ability to articulate. Isaiah said he was becoming so marred, so disfigured, so, so, so appalling that, that he was unrecognizable as being human. Because something that was taking place was more than a transaction of simply dying on the cross. It was becoming hell for us. That's the measure of his love. And when I see that and I know that, and just because something breaks in my house or because this isn't working or because this, this pressure is coming on me or even my life is being threatened, will I, will I yield to the tempter and say, yeah, you're right, I've been forsaken of God? No way. No way. And it's not because I am strong, it's because I am weak in Christ. And when I am weak, he is strong. There is a sure foundation for us to fall back on so that in, the, in these moments of life when we feel like we've been forgotten that, that, that we fall back on the cross. Remember the cross. Remember the cost. And when you live near to the cross and when you live near to the cost, you know that not even a sparrow is insignificant There's a price, even on the fifth sparrow, he was thrown in for free. How much do you cost? How valuable are you? Let me tell you how valuable you are. Could only be measured in the blood, sweat, and tears of God himself. Let me come back and close with one last scripture this morning. We started with David, basically. Psalm 13, David said, how long, O Lord? How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? David's looking at his circumstances. He's stuck in the woods. He's stuck in the thicket. But then something happens in verse five. There's a but. That's why I tell you, one of the greatest words in the Bible is but. But I trust, and it's not even an I will trust. It is, I trust in your unfailing love. I trust in your covenantal love. I trust in your unconditional love. I trust in your steadfast love. And that's what I want you to leave with this morning, knowing this, that you can trust in the unfailing love of God as a sure foundation. That when you do that, when you'll not be moved from that, I know this, I know that I know. I don't, I don't need to have God heal my blind eye for me to know that I am loved. The cross is enough for me to know that I know that I know. And trusting in his unfailing love, Christ is that sure foundation. 
I don't know, maybe David got back. I don't know, I can't, I, can't, I can't say that. Maybe just speculate. Maybe David got back to remembering the Lord is my shepherd. You know what David didn't say? The Lord is a shepherd. David didn't say the Lord is the shepherd. What really brought David peace was when, the, when David said the Lord is my shepherd. And when you walk out of this place this morning and you can say with all assurance that Jesus is my savior. Jesus is not just the Savior. He's not just a Savior. He is my Savior. You can walk out of here resting, safe and secure. There's an old song we used to sing, Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness like a flood, when the Prince of Peace, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. What more, what more could he do to prove that you are infinitely loved? than this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the the word of God that gives us such encouragement, such such peace, oh God, such such confidence, oh God, Lord, in a person, not not in a a theology, not in a theory, not in a, a religion, but trust in a person. You've given us that trust by the repetition of the word of God that cannot fail. We trust in your unfailing love. Your, work, your love will not fail. And so I thank you this morning that you're encouraging us to stand strong, that you're speaking to people now to, to, to move from the outer rim of putting confidence in you and taking that leap of trust and just receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. Do that this morning. Let me encourage you to do that. You will not be disappointed with Jesus. And for those of you who find yourselves in the midst of that struggle right now, and the devil's been telling you all week, you know what? God doesn't know you. He doesn't, he, he, he's abandoned you. That is a lie. Cast that down this morning. Don't hold that cup one single minute longer, but cast all of your cares upon him. Because he cares for you, and the proof of that is the cross. May we stand and worship him one more time this morning.